athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked into the Dopey Show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Got a good show for you as a matter of fact. Game one of the NBA Finals took place on Thursday. We're going to talk a lot of NBA and more specifically. Well, we're going to talk a lot of NBA and also game one between the Raptors and the Warriors. We're going to have a really good series. We're going to talk Raptors, Warriors, NBA, whole lot going on in the NBA on today's program. Joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Road, the Indianapolis 500 took place on Sunday. And your winner... Frenchman Simon Paginaud won the Indianapolis 500, and he, of course, races for Penske Racing. And Simon Paginaud going to join us today, also here on From the Press Box to Press Row. It had been since 1920 since a Frenchman had won the Indy 500. So going to talk again to Simon Paginaud, the winner of the Indianapolis 500 today on the program. Hope you enjoyed last week's From the Press Box to Press Row has got to reminisce a little bit on the program for Memorial Day weekend. And can you believe it? We're in the month of June. In the month of June, time is just flying by. Of course, in a couple of weeks, it's going to be Father's Day. And, um, you know, I tell you what, you know, just a whole lot going on and wanted to get into a bunch of stuff today on the program. I also want to talk uh, a little bit about the life and times of a gentleman by the name of Otis Washington, who passed away. He is former St. Augustine uh, head football coach there in New Orleans in the high school ranks, but also was the head football coach at Southern. Had um, you know had 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 some success at at Southern as well, but just a a big time figure. Um, you know, an HBCU graduate, as a matter of fact, graduated from Xavier and just a big time presence throughout Louisiana, won a couple of state titles as the head coach at St. Augustine, Augustine. Um, but really a big figure, an HBCU graduate and also the head football coach at one time at Southern, again, had a winning mark. He was there for maybe four or five years, but again, the most success and the most impact that he had was at St. Augustine in New Orleans. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today here on the program. Your participation here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Always want you to participate. Hit me up via Twitter and also on Instagram at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Speaking of Louisiana... 
big shots out to those that listen to us in Louisiana on Sports Talk 97.7 covering the Monroe Ruston Northern Louisiana area. Also to those that listen to us on KGRM as well covering that same area and Grambling as well. Big shots out to our listeners in Pittsburgh on WGBN. I mean, we have affiliates all across the country. Thank you to those that listen to us, those that listen to us in Jackson, Mississippi, on WJSU. Also, those that listen to us on satellite radio from coast to coast, from New York to L.A., on Sirius XM, channels 141 and 142, and those that listen to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. Again, still to come on the program, um, we're going to talk some NBA playoffs. Also, Simon Paginal, your 2019 Indy 500 winner, also going to join us on the program. A big congratulations and big shots out go to out to North Carolina A&T and more specifically the athletics department. They won both the Talmadge Layman Hill Men's Award and the Mary McLeod Bethune uh, Women's All Sports Awards as it was announced on Wednesday. And what a big year that North Carolina A&T has had. I mean, you talk about a big year, a couple of, you know, a couple of big years. I mean, I would say probably the last I don't know, five years. I mean, A&T has just been, you know, um, in essence, on top of the, in in a lot of respects, on top of the HBCU sports world. I mean, you know, they've won the last two HBCU national championships. I mean, when you're talking about HBCU football and winning national championships and they've won three out of the last four years, I mean, really, when you think about it, it's football and then every other sport. I mean, it's football and then every other sport. I mean, you go football, then you have men's basketball, men's and women's basketball, um, you know, volleyball, baseball, softball, um, track and field. I mean, you have all of the sports, but I mean, I would say that would sort of be the pecking order. And I mean, A&T absolutely has dominated um, when you talk about football the last couple of years. You talk about the undefeated season in football in 2017. You talk about this past football season. Um, winning another HBCU national championship. Um, you look at the even the men's basketball program had a solid season. You look at the baseball program. I mean, when you look at this baseball program, I mean, you go back, you know, maybe three or four years ago. I mean, it wasn't a very good foot, uh, program at all. But now you look at the baseball program is good. The men's track and field program is good. The women's track and field program is absolutely outstanding of course, behind a lot of that having to do, and it's a total team effort, but Kayla White has been absolutely tremendous in terms of the national attention that she has brought to North Carolina A&T. But when you talk about, I mean, and there's other programs I can think of. I mean, you know, another program that kind of comes to mind in terms of not necessarily being on top of the HBCU landscape, but in terms of where the the, the program was to where it is now, I mean, I look at a program like a Jackson State, the football program. I mean, if you look at the football program going back some five years, six years ago, I mean, it was in shambles in terms of from an academic standpoint. But when you look at the program now, I mean, they're getting all kinds of kudos from the NCAA and in terms of what they've been able to do to turn the academic side of things around. So they would always have these APR penalties and now, the football program has sort of gotten out of that. I mean, we still, the 
the APR numbers came out, uh, I guess it's been a little bit more, maybe about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than a month ago now, and we still have you know, some HBCU programs. I don't have all of that. I don't have that information in front of me, but we still have some HBCU programs that have some APR issues. But, I mean, when you look at, um, again, what a, what a Jackson State has been able to do, you look at what Alabama State does in terms of um, winning the, um, you know, I don't know if they won this year's SWAC trophies or not in terms of the, the, the best uh, sports program in the SWAC uh, from a men's and women's perspective. I think they may have swept the awards again this year or, you know, they, they, they're at least in contention, you know, pretty much every year. But when you look at what A&T was able to do, and then on top of that, um, they were presented with a, with a pair of $20,000 checks. Um, and they, I guess they had the MEAC presentations or what have you in Hilton head. So they were presented with two, um, $20,000 checks. And I mean, I, you know, that just goes to show, and you look at the leadership there at North Carolina A&T, the athletics department is, 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 uh, is Earl Hilton is the athletics director. You look at the chancellor, Dr. Harold Martin, who's leading that. And by the way, um, if you didn't know, <laughs> I mean, you look at A&T, it's the largest HBCU um, when you look at the number of students, it's like well over 10,000 students that attend North Carolina A&T. I thought I saw some projections. And when you look at, you know, you look at and, and not to go too deep, but I mean, when you look at the overall North Carolina system, there are I think it's 16, maybe 17, but 16 schools in the North Carolina system, which, by the way, is lauded as one of, if not the top um, school, state, you know, college, university, school system in the country. And those school systems are typically you have the head, you know, the, the, the head school, if you will, it'd be the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. But I mean, I thought I saw some projections where in the next five years, A&T could be at like 15,000 students. I mean, that's absolutely unbelievable. And you look at the growth of this university. I mean, I can look at the university and the growth of the university over a 20 year period. But if you look at the growth of the university in the last five to seven years, they've added a new student union. I, I haven't gone, been in the student union yet, but I mean, my understanding, I mean, it, it is absolutely tremendous. Took a while uh, for it to get done, but well worth the wait from my understanding. Um, so, you know, Hey, A&T uh, right now, I'm just saying, you know, it's on top of the HBCU world. So that definitely was some news um, from earlier in the week. Again, you're locked into From the Press Box to Press Row. I'm your host, Donald Ware. A lot of NBA playoff, or uh, really NBA finals talk still to come on the program. A lot going on in the NBA in terms of, um, you know, we're not even through the season. And a lot of the talk is where is Kevin Durant going to go next year? Um, where is and what's the, the situation with Anthony Davis? Still a lot of that to talk about. So, again, I, as I mentioned, I mean, you talk about 12 months in a year. The NBA is headline news nine months out of uh, out of those uh, out of those 12 months. And, and this year, definitely no different. Once the NBA finals ends, who knows? I mean, the, the, the longest it's going to be is two months. 
Again, also still to come here on From the Press Box to Press Row, we're also going to catch up with Simon Paginaw, who is your Indianapolis 500 winner as From the Press Box to Press Row rolls on. Hey, what's up? It's your girl, Faith Evans. And I'm hanging out with my man, Donald Ware, on From the Press Box to Press Row, baby. The old renaissance is the new renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Brought to you by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Visit them at HarlemBeerNC.com. Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's Beef Jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's Beef Jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's beef jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You can also purchase Marjorie's beef jerky online at marjoriesbeefjerky.com. That's marjoriesbeefjerky.com or call them toll free 844-340-7613. Marjorie's beef jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Brought to you by Marjorie's Beef Jerky. Buy Marjorie's Beef Jerky special six pack, all six flavors. If you buy six, you get one free. And let me tell you, I can tell you personally, Marjorie's Beef Jerky is the best beef jerky on the planet. All kinds of flavors. You can log on to Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com again for box to row listeners. Buy a six pack and you get. One extra bag for free. Log on to Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com to order now. Still to come here on from the press box to Press Row Simon Paginaw, 2019 Indianapolis 500 winner, going to join us on the program. Toronto takes a one games to none lead with the 118 to 109 victory over Golden State in Game 1 of the NBA Finals on 
which took place on Thursday. Game two is going to take place on Sunday once again in Toronto. As I watched the game and really actually what happened, I watched up until about from the first quarter up until about mm, with about eight minutes or so, I guess, left in the fourth quarter. And at that time, it was I think I think at that time, Toronto had something like a 10 point lead. And they, you know, to me, Toronto um, dominated. I, I would use the word dominated the first half. I know it was only like a 10 point lead. And as a matter of fact, the first quarter was low scoring. But what Toronto was able to do and you look at the fact that Kawhi Leonard wasn't having a great offensive first half, but. What I, I said, my wife is a Warriors fan. I said to her, it was a 10-point lead for Toronto. I said to her, hey, if something's if if Golden State pulls to within three points, three or four points, then wake me up. I was tired that day. I had gotten out there in the hot sun with my son and playing baseball. So, you know, I was sort of beat at that time and told her, hey, wake me up if it if they pull to within three or four points. Well, she never woke me up. But the great thing about it, you know, I woke up. It was probably about 4.30 Eastern on Friday morning. And I was able to sort of pick up in the fourth quarter. They were replaying the game. So I was able to pick up right there in the fourth quarter where I left off. And let me tell you, I mean, Toronto was absolutely splendid as a team in this game. From a defensive standpoint, I realize if you – you know, you look at the, excuse me, 109 points that Golden State had, but this was a dominating performance by Toronto. Dominating performance. I'm going to use the word dominating. I look at uh, Siakam, Pascal Siakam. I mean, a phenomenal game that this young man, this young guy, this uh, budding star in the NBA had in the game. 32 points. I'm not going to say that he carried Toronto because I think it was more of a team effort. I mean, you had some key, you know, he hit some big shots. He really stepped up third and fourth quarter. He hit some big shots in the game. And I mean, you had some veteran play and even Kawhi Leonard. I mean, if you look at the numbers, they weren't necessarily great. They were, he was quiet. He had a quiet, I would say a quiet 23 points, five of 14 from the field. But, I mean, his defense was really, really good. This was a dominating performance by Toronto in game one. If I go back to the first half, and, and, and again, the first quarter was more of a low-scoring affair for both. But even if I look at the second quarter, I think the second quarter is really where Toronto started to impose its will and take control of this game. There were points in the game in the second half where Golden State came back. I'm trying to remember if Golden State even had a lead at all in the second half. I mean, there were definitely some points where Golden State was able to come back in this basketball game. But at the end of the day, you had some key buckets. I mean, look at the veteran Mark Gasol. I mean, he, from an off, and and one of the things to me, it was a couple of times, particularly in the first half, where Golden State was leaving Mark Gasol open. They were saying, hey, Mark Gasol beat us, and he did. Mark Gasol is a veteran. This guy is a really, really good basketball player. By the way, if you look at it from a defensive standpoint in Toronto as a whole, Mark Gasol is a former 
defensive MVP in this league. So you're talking about a veteran guy who hadn't been here before, who, again, you talk about a model of consistency at one time. That was the Memphis Grizzlies. That in part or mostly because of Mark Gasol and with the Grizzlies sort of having that consistency over the years, uh, Mark Gasol was definitely the catalyst sort of behind that. I mean, you had Danny Green that came in, particularly in the fourth quarter, that had some big shots. Again, Kyle Lowry, I talked about Kyle Lowry, what, maybe about three weeks ago or so in terms of his play in the NBA Finals and what we've seen from him over the course of his career in the NBA Finals, not necessarily stepping up. Well, you know, that wasn't the case certainly in the last series for Toronto. He really played big. It wasn't so much his points. It was the way that he controlled sort of the floor. And, I mean, listen, again, I mean, not necessarily a great, excuse me, performance per se from an offensive standpoint in terms of shooting the basketball, only two of nine. But he had nine assists in the ballgame, only three turnovers in the ballgame, and by the way, he's a key defender also. But, you know, we talk about, you know, I talked about the totality of the defense with respect to Toronto. Well, a lot of that has to do with Kyle Lowry and the way that he goes out and performs uh, on the defensive uh, front. More specifically, the charges that he's able to take. He takes a lot of charges. He leads um, the league in terms of total, the number of total charges taken in the NBA playoffs. So you got a, a a total team effort. And what more can be said about Fred Van Fleet than uh, Van Vliet? I mean, this young this guy, um, you know, has been absolutely key for Toronto. Also, more specifically, off the bench, another big performance, five of eight. From the field, hit some key shots. Didn't just settle for the three-pointer. Not that he settled for the three-pointer throughout the course of these playoffs. And by the way, remember in his first round, I mean he was he was bad. Uh, but he's really come full force, especially in the Milwaukee series, hitting a bunch of three-pointers. You saw him on at least one pump fake, uh, take it spot up in that first half, spot up pull that jumper just off the right elbow from about you know, uh, 18, 19 feet and be able to knock that down. So he's not just settling for the jump shot. This was a total team effort by Toronto in this ball game. When you look at it from a Golden State perspective, I mean, you can't ask for much. Uh, okay, so let me back up. Draymond Green had a, had a solid game, okay? And if you look at some of the numbers, I have the box score in front of me. Basically, all of the Toronto players... When you look at the plus minus and, I, you know, I don't a lot of times get into a lot of the numbers and a lot of the stats. I think, you know, I think the plus minus stat is something that is definitely telling. And it, it's not always that way. Uh, sometimes the plus minus can be misleading. But if you look at the plus minus of Golden State, all of their players or excuse me, of Toronto, all of the Toronto players had a uh, their plus minus was a plus. All of Golden State's players, especially the starters, all of their plus minus uh, was a minus. Uh, You look at Draymond Green. I mean, this guy plays with a level of energy that is unbelievable. He's all I mean, he just he gets it done on both ends of the court. 
The problem with Draymond in this game is he didn't get it done from a shooting perspective. Two of nine from the field. I mean, if you look at the assists, you look at the rebounds. I mean, he did some good things. Uh, 10 assists, 10 rebounds, but he had six turnovers in the game, uh, which hurt. Two of nine from the field, only um, only uh, 10 points. He had a triple-double, 10, 10, and 10, uh, but they needed a little bit more from him in this ball game. Uh, what can you say? I mean, Steph Curry had a solid game, solid game for Steph Curry. Uh, another 30-point performance, as a matter of fact, more specifically 34 points in this ball game. Solid performance from him, but it wasn't enough. Clay Thompson, 8 of 17. I didn't think, you know, you look at the numbers again, numbers are misleading. You look at the 8 of 17, that's a little bit less than 50% from the field. As a matter of fact, it's 47% from the field. But even with that, like he didn't have, you know, he didn't have the impact that was needed in this ball game. To me, um, for Golden State, they're they're missing some offensive firepower. Um, you know, I mean, I can look at Golden State um, and and, you know, they didn't you know, they, they weren't there. Obviously, they weren't their best defensively. They're coming off nine days of rest. I think that had a little bit of something to do with it early on. I think, matter of fact, I really believe both teams were tight. You have a, a Golden State team that's a little bit tight because they hadn't played in so long. You have a Toronto team that's a little bit tight early on because it's their first time. But the lights weren't too big for a guy like Siakam uh, for Toronto. And, you know, again, to me, for Golden State, just not enough firepower in this uh, in this game against Toronto. It's just one game, but to me, it was a telling one game. I mean, I've seen enough basketball over my lifetime to not overreact and say the sky is falling for Golden State and Toronto's going to sweep the series. And I know a lot of people are probably saying that. And we have you have to be careful about that because it looked like when you look at the previous series for Toronto and Milwaukee went up two games to none, especially with the way that Milwaukee dominated game two, it looked like it could possibly be a sweep. But remember, hadn't gone back to Toronto. And by the way, the fans played a big part that that just Toronto um, that fan base is absolutely tremendous and I think that also played a huge part huge huge part for Toronto so again we're going to have game two on Sunday in Toronto should be very 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 interesting Golden State was frustrated even Steve Kerr was frustrated it's all about how you respond in adversity and Golden State hadn't seen some adversity in a while and they didn't respond well to the adversity. More of some NBA Finals talk here on the program. But up next, we're going to talk with the Indianapolis 500 winner, Simon Paginal. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The Indianapolis 500 winner is on the line. And, of course, uh, I'll tell you what, it, it had been since 1920 since a Frenchman had won the Indianapolis 500 as Simon Paginot joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Simon, congratulations and welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's, uh, as you can imagine, it's a pretty special time in my life, so glad to be on. Wow. I mean, what a special time to win it on Sunday, the, the biggest spectacle, not only in racing, but really in, in all of sports. Your thoughts, when you crossed that finish line, because it was a battle towards the end, what were your thoughts when you crossed that finish line as the winner? 
Uh, I mean, it was um, obviously I cried. <laughs> I cried a little bit on the on the uh, after the checkered flag because uh, you know I started I started dreaming about the Indianapolis 500 when I was uh, six seven years old, and I remember watching Rick Mears in '91 winning the race and thinking I wanted to be in that car. So now I get to drive a, a Tim Penske car, and I got it to. I got to drive it uh, to the finish line in the, in the biggest race in the world. So my my feelings were just that it was almost hard to believe, but uh, it was the sweetest moment in my life. Yeah, and 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 especially to win it, it had been uh, since uh, I mentioned, of course, since 1920. So you're talking about 99 years since a a fellow Frenchman had won it. What did that mean to you? Well, it's just. Pride, you know, I'm very proud to represent my uh, my country so well and fly the the French flag so high. We've we've had some very tragic events with the burning of Notre Dame uh, Cathedral in Paris uh, lately. So it's just great to be able to bring some smiles on people's face uh, with sports. And um, you know, obviously, it's amazing uh, to think about. You know, I left France about 13 years ago to come here and and try to pursue the American dream and. Um, that all worked out for me perfectly with a, a warm welcome by American people. Um, and it's just great today to, um, you know, tell France we, that we've won the biggest race in the world. Absolutely. And in leaving uh, France 13 years ago to come here and do your thing, I mean, you've had a lot of success, uh, of success ultimately winning the whole thing in 2016. Let's talk a little bit about the race Give us your thoughts because I mean I don't know I don't know if I want to use the word dominated but I mean you you were really really good and took control of this race early on. Yeah, the goal the car was so good all month that uh, our strategy was just to attack uh, from the get go and take control of the race and be you know um, basically own our own destiny. Uh, that was really the goal and we did that uh, early on to see to see how if people were going to follow us and. Uh, adopt the same kind of strategy. Um, and then toward the end, we realized we had to save a little bit of fuel uh, finally, but uh, it all paid off really well. Obviously, uh, being on the attack was the right way to go. Yeah. Now, I know, obviously, you were the pole sitter in this race. Had you ever been the pole sitter at the Indy 500? It was my first time, uh, second time for a Frenchman. So uh, quite an amazing feeling as well, because it's the tempo of speed. So if you're the fastest, then you and your team's done something very special. You know, I want to talk specifically about Alexander Rossi. You had to hold, you had to, you, you know, you guys battled those last couple of laps, but can you speak to holding off two former champions in Rossi and then, of course, uh, Takamo Sato uh, as well, being able to hold them off to ultimately win? The field this year was the tightest uh, there ever was in history qualifying. So let me tell you, the teams, the drivers, everybody's at the top of their game right now, and you really, really have to push it further than you, the limits that you think um, to to win a race. Um, and, and more importantly, winning the 500, you you know, second doesn't really matter. So you're going for first. Rossi is a tremendous racer. He's probably the the most um, aggressive, uh, the most uh, you know, he can ride the limit better than anyone. Quite frankly, he's uh, I have a lot of respect for him and his team and Ready Autosport. They keep pushing us to be the, to be better. So, you know, it was uh, it was one of those moments where we had to execute and uh, excel, and we did that. So, um, uh, you know, it was a phenomenal show for the fans, which which again, that is very important to us to IndyCar to to see our sport continue uh, on its rise. 
Simon Paginaw drives for Team Penske. He is your 2019 Indianapolis 500 winner. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Take us through that crash at uh, lap number 23 that, I mean, again, as I mentioned, you had controlled the race a little bit and then maybe not so much at that point, but ultimately that that crash enabled you to not necessarily get back into the race, but maybe if that crash doesn't happen, we could have had a different result. Uh, I actually don't think so. Okay. <laughs> we were pretty much in control at that point. We uh, we decided that we had to save fuel, and we did before that crash. Before that crash. So we were able to make the fuel by following my teammate, Joseph Newgard, and we were able to save a lot of fuel and then get back on the normal strategy. So we, we, would, have had, we would have been able to, you know, push as hard as possible in the last stint if it was a full stint. Um, so I, we had no worries about that. We were, we were in good shape. Uh, but um, certainly the advantage of it all is that everybody could go full throttle at the end and not worry about fuel, and it made for a better race for the fans. Do you have a – you mentioned strategy. Is there a, a strategy throughout the course of the race in terms of when to pit, or does the race dictate as such? Well, you decide on uh, which way you're going. Are you going conservative? Are you going to try to save fuel and pass people in the pits? Or are you going to attack and try to control the race? But you might lose the race uh, on fuel saving for sure. Um, you know, so that's, that's the whole game that the strategists uh, play at. And um, what they do is they tell their drivers uh, what to do in the car to, uh, to apply to that strategy. It's, uh, it's quite, uh, quite enjoyable. I'm sorry, uh, New York City is getting really busy. Pretty noisy. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. This is good. No, it's good radio. It's good radio. No, it's okay. It's it's not. It is good radio. <laughs> no, this is this so, is the you know, that, yeah. Go ahead. So this is really what you got to do is as a team is work together. But again, you know the biggest thing is is I couldn't have done it without my team. There's no way in the world me alone could have done that because first of all you need the best car. You need strategists that know what to do when, and then the driver has to do uh, the end of the the job really. But uh, that takes. For us at Team Penske, it takes 550 people to work uh, work at it every day. You know, we mentioned Alexander Rossi, and you mentioned, you know, you, you gave a lot of praise um, to him, and especially in terms of the way that he drives. Take us through those last, I don't know, three to five laps when you guys were trading the lead and going back and forth. Well, it was uh, it was all about timing. It was, uh, you know, I, I've been watching and re-watching and studying and non-stop tape, um, to understand what I had to do at some point to, um, you know, if I was in that situation, what would I need to do to win the race? Um, then finally, it happened. The whole situation happened just like I imagined it. So, you know, uh, four laps to go, Rossi passes me back. But before that, we had already exchanged it, exchanged the lead, and I knew exactly how long it would take me to get him back. So then I calculated when would be the best time, and um, turn three, one lap to go seemed to be the best place. Obviously, um, I had the horsepower from my Chevy engine to do that and hold him off till the end, which yeah. was phenomenal. A couple more thoughts with Simon Paginaw, who joins us here on the program. Drives for Team Penske. He's your 2019 Indianapolis 500 winner. I, I know it was a couple of weeks ago when you ran in the Indy uh, Car Grand Prix. I know it's obviously two different things, but you know, having won that race a couple of weeks ago, did it give you a, a really good feeling coming into the Indy 500 that you, you would win? Well, um, you know, I had no doubt. That's the biggest thing. And I think for any athletes, when you're in sport, if you doubt yourself, it's, it's, it's always going to be harder. Because I do believe 
that you know the positive power of thinking has a has a big effect on performance. Um, I've I've worked really hard on that. I'm a very I'm very much in tune with my my brain and my thoughts, and I've been uh, working really hard on uh, <clears throat> trying to always be positive, always look forward like a champion. You know, think like a champion is actually a, a sentence I've written on my uh, a quote I've written on my helmet. So remind me, you know, stay in that zone and uh, and you will do great things. So um, that's really what I focused on. And, um, you know, it, it worked for me this time. It, it's working for me throughout my career. It, it's a little bit 2016. Uh, this year so far is a little bit different than 2016, obviously, because you win the Indy 500. But that's the year that you won it all. You won five races that year. Are there? Do you see so far this year maybe some similarities to 2016? I think it's going to be hard. I think in 16 we had uh, we had uh, the best best car. We had a bit of an advantage at the time compared to the Honda teams. Um, with uh, there was a different aero package, and I think the Chevy package was a little better. Um, I think this year it's a lot more equal. So there will be a lot of different winners as you've, as you've seen so far this season. Um, obviously, winning twice in the, in the seasons uh, is a really good sign for us in our chance for the championship. But we'll need three wins for sure uh, to contend for it. So still a lot of work to do. Um, I think we're in really good shape. Domination will be, I think, almost impossible. But um, I tell you what, you never know with the, with the potential we've been showing lately. That's right. Lastly, so what are you going to do with the Corvette that you, that you won? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, first of all, uh, as you may know, I'm, I'm a foodie and I love red wine. So... When I saw that the COVID this year was red burgundy, I was like, mm, it re- might really be my year. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really excited. To, it's a beautiful Chevy uh, Corvette um, Grand Sport. So it's a beautiful one. Um, it's got it's got all the uh, all the options that you would want. And uh, I think I'm going to drive it, man. I mean, I love cars, <laughs> and uh, I can't stop driving all my cars. So I'm, I'm going to obviously have to build a new garage. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when I drive it, that's for sure. I'd be so proud of it. That's really cool. Of course, Simon Paginaw, your 2019 Indianapolis 500 winner. He joins us here. I'm from the press box to press row. Simon, congratulations. Continued success to you and Team Penske. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Simon Paginaw, your 2019 Indianapolis 500 winner. Up next here on From the Press Box to Press Row, for all of the Kevin Durant haters, I tell you what, Kevin Durant was sorely needed, sorely needed for Golden State. I'm going to revisit the whole Kevin Durant situation going back now some three years on the other side. The radio program that's talking sports from New York City to Cali and globally on the World Wide Web. From the press box to press row continues after this. Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. 
Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You can also purchase Marjorie's Beef Jerky online at Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. That's Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. Or call them toll-free, 844-340-7613. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. It's Donald Ware, host of From the Press Box to Press Row. The biggest names are guests on Box to Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah, well, I'm just, you know, trying to get better every single day. You know, uh, we've been through a lot as a team, and I enjoy playing with a great group of guys. Hey, this is Ronda Rousey. This is Michael Vick. Hi, this is Layla Ali. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Skylar Diggins. Hey, it's Alex Morgan with the U.S. Women's Soccer Team. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, yeah, and I was really um, ready and serious and just really, you know, excited. Missed any of these interviews? Then check us out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant radio. It's Donald Ware. From the press box to press row. We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row. You can join in on the conversation on Twitter at Box to Row, B O X T O R O W. Follow us while you're there. Also on Facebook, B O X, the number two R O W. Game two going to be played in Toronto on Sunday. And again, Toronto. Right now with a one to nothing lead over Golden State, the two-time defending NBA champions. And the Warriors did not respond well to adversity at all in game one. I thought it was a dominating performance by Toronto, uh, more specifically in the first half and then also in the fourth quarter. Golden State sort of hung around there, as a matter of fact, in the third quarter. But I thought a dominating performance, particularly when if you look at the numbers in terms of Kawhi Leonard, just 5 of 14 from the field in this ball game. But uh, still other guys stepped up, more specifically Siakam. Pascal Siakam was absolutely tremendous in this game. I think at one point it hit like 11. I think he ended the game. If I'm not mistaken, hitting like 11 straight field goals was 14 of 17 from the field, was able to do some things defensively. Marcus Saul really stepped up. This was a huge game. Marcus Saul's had some pretty big games here in the playoffs. This was perhaps his best game. He hit a lot of shots. They left him open. I, I, I don't I'm not sure if that was the strategy for Golden State couldn't have been. I mean, I think more of my strategy coming in for Golden uh, for Golden State would have been to me, let Kawhi Leonard, with the way Kawhi Leonard had been playing, let Kawhi Leonard beat me if that has to be the case and then stop everybody else. Well, Golden State certainly didn't do that at all. Again, Danny Green hit some big shots down the stretch. Fred Van Vliet, again, uh, uh, hit some some big shots also throughout the course of the game. Even Serge Ibaka, I mean, Serge Ibaka, Boy, I mean, he got up on one uh, dunk. Man, I'm like, that's the Serge Ibaka from back in the Oklahoma City days. Even played well. And then Kyle Lowry, again, you look at the numbers, maybe the points weren't there, but in terms of the way he was able to manage, control the game, and then what he was able to do from a defensive standpoint um, was really big for Toronto 
as well. I want to what I want to do here is address all of the Kevin Durant haters, because obviously, and and again, again, if you look at the numbers, and again, that's why to me the numbers don't always tell the story. You can't always look at the numbers. I mean, if I look at the numbers and I look at Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, they were a combined 14 or excuse me, a combined 16 of 35 from the field, a combined 16 of 35 from the field, which isn't awful. I mean, you'd, you'd hope that they'd shoot a little bit better, but that's not awful. As I watched this game, as I w- watched the, in, for in essence, the entire basketball game, um, in its context, okay, they were missing something, meaning Golden State. They were missing another scorer who could give them some firepower. Draymond Green is going to be Draymond Green, and Draymond Green is going to do what Draymond Green does. And what Draymond Green doesn't necessarily do well, especially if you've watched Golden State throughout the course of this year. I mean, at at one point, Draymond wasn't playing well at all. He was turning the ball over. Um you know, he 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 just wasn't playing well. And when you've seen him in his playoffs, I mean, this guy is like the energizer bunny. He goes and goes and goes. He's always this high energy guy pushing the ball up the floor, playing defense. I think he was still that way in the game on Thursday. The issue was, which I don't know if it's necessarily an issue per se, is that, again, if you look at the numbers, two of nine from the field. He missed some wide-open shots he needed to be able to hit. As a matter of fact, Golden State missed a bunch of wide-open shots in this ball game that they really, from from other guys, that they needed to be able to knock down to keep themselves close. I don't think they played awful defensively, meaning Golden State. It's just that they needed to be able to match what Toronto presented. And Draymond Green, two of nine, I mean... That's, you know, that's not on Draymond Green necessarily. They needed more points from him. They didn't get it. But if you've looked at Golden State throughout the course of the year, he hasn't necessarily shot the ball that well, particularly from the outside. So what were they missing? And by the way, Boogie Cousins was an absolute non-factor for Golden State. And, you know, quite frankly, probably won't be moving forward. the, The issue with Golden State wasn't the the big man it wasn't necessarily that they didn't have you know a boogie cousins although you know this is a guy that definitely can get some things done offensively and we'll have to see how things move forward i mean it's it's his first game back so it's you know i don't know if it's necessarily fair to judge what he did in game one let's see what he's able to do moving forward but is he a hundred percent is he you know a guy that's going to be able to give you what you need i mean you know at the end of the day um i thought that the players that Golden State had that played the center position did a relatively decent job. So that wasn't really the problem. The problem is they need Kevin Durant. Plain and simple. Listen, you know, I've maintained this from day one when Kevin Durant decided that he was going to leave Oklahoma City to join Golden State. You had this uh, this severe backlash where everybody or a lot of people were saying that he goes and joins a team that's already loaded. He's, you know, why would he do that? Why would he want to leave OKC? 
um, where they're on the verge of winning an NBA championship and go to join a team that they lost to in the semifinals of the Western Conference Finals the the previous year. This, that, and the other. Let me let me t- let me remind you all. Let me remind you of something. Um, Kevin Durant, the last two years, has led Golden State to the NBA Finals. If it were not for Kevin Durant, the last two years, Golden State would not have won the NBA Finals. You look at, you know, as great a player as as Curry is and, and as, as, as really, really good a player as Thompson is, you know, they weren't stellar or hadn't been stellar in the last two NBA Finals. But who has been absolutely stellar? It has been Kevin Durant. And let's go back back pre-Kevin Durant. You want to talk about something? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about pre-Kevin Durant for Golden State going back to 2016 when Golden State had the three games to one lead over Cleveland. Draymond Green gets thrown out of the gets thrown out of, I guess it was game five. Cleveland wins that game and then goes on to win the series coming back from a three to one deficit. That was the year that Golden State had won 73 or 74 games. They had this team that just couldn't be beat. And if I even go back the year before that, I'm going to give Golden State all the credit in the world. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Golden State, but remember Cleveland LeBron James was playing without Kyrie Irving. He was playing without Kevin Love. And they made a series. That's going back to 2015. Cleveland made a series of that. And remember, it was another series in which uh, Curry wasn't, he, he just wasn't great at all. As a matter of fact, remember, Andre Iguodala won the NBA Finals MVP because of more so what he was able to do from a defensive standpoint. He had some he had some points and so forth. He did some good things, but but what he was able to do against LeBron, who by the way again, or as a reminder, didn't have any help. So you all, who whoever you all are, um, and all of those so-called experts and pundits and all of those that we hear about that uh, you know talked about Kevin Durant and and Kevin Durant has not been a hanger on it's not like he's at the end he was at the end of the career of his career when he made the transition and sorry I got to replay this because we've talked about we've been talking about this what now for three years right since he made the decision to come to Golden State this is the third year we're talking and we're still talking about it but I'm going to you know I'm going to continue to talk about it in favor of Kevin Durant and what Kevin Durant means to Golden State he means everything to Golden State Golden State hadn't been right since 2016. They needed, meaning Golden State, they needed Kevin Durant to be a part of that team. And once Kevin Durant became a part of that team, that's an offensive weapon that cannot be stopped, virtually unstoppable. In my opinion, you know, we talk, especially in this day, it's all about the now. And I I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We're we're so quick to rush to judgment now. What's happened now? We're in the moment. We don't step back and think about and what could happen and all of those type of things and and look at things that have happened before. To me, you know, I haven't seen everybody play, haven't seen all of the players of all time and all of those kind of things. But to me, in terms of studying the history of the game and being on this earth for almost 45 years, watching a lot of basketball, Kevin Durant 
is the greatest scorer in the history of the NBA. He's he's essentially unstoppable uh, from a as a scorer. You're not going to block his shot or anything like that. I mean, if he's off, he's going to be off, and that's a rare occasion. And what Golden State needed in this game was another guy that could score points. I think it was a rush to judgment. Once they were able to sweep Portland, Portland really wasn't that good. That that was a bad barometer to measure Golden State by, not to take away anything from Golden State. But Portland just, I mean, Portland's a good team, but they're not that good. They And especially from a defensive standpoint where Toronto is really good defensively and more specifically team defense you need another scorer so for all of those Kevin Durant haters and all of those that said why did Kevin Durant come to Golden State again as I mentioned at the time you don't want to be Charles Barkley you don't want to be Carl Malone you don't want to be these guys that are considered some of the greatest players of all time and never won an NBA championship he had a chance to come to a team to win an NBA championship but not only did he have a chance to come to win an NBA championship he had a chance to come to Golden State to help lead Golden State to NBA championships which he has done it's going to be out I Listen, they need if they can have Kevin Durant in this game, even if he's not 100 percent, they need meeting Golden State. They're going to need Golden State or they're going to need Kevin Durant in this series to have a uh, not to have a chance, but to try to try to defeat Toronto, who is really, really good. Your thoughts hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W or on Facebook. We can continue the conversation Got to get ready to run. Thank you to Simon Paginaw, the 2019 Indianapolis 500 winner, for joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. For more information on the program, log on to our website at BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.